Welcome to the Thrifty Marketer Podcast, a podcast where we meet amazing individuals from all walks of life. Here's your host, Vivek, with a new episode for you. Right, so, uh, you know, uh, we last week we spoke about you know, uh, personal development kind of topic. So this, 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 uh, we, this episode also we are continuing with the same. Uh, so you know, negative thinking and negative thoughts is something we all struggle with, right? So I wanted to get some uh, get somebody on the show who has done a tremendous amount of work in their area, have bro- broke the pattern, etc. So. Today, I have Brian Sacheta, which, who is the owner of Get Out of Your Head book as well as a movement. Uh, so he will be talking about breaking free from negative thoughts, learning to stop overthinking. I do a lot of overthinking. People who know me know that I do a lot of overthinking. I take a lot of problems, which are not problems, my problems. So uh, Brian is an author and owner of Get Out of Your Head, a brand and a book series that seeks to help folks overcome anxiety and depression. Uh, We all know uh, since the pandemic kicked in, the focus on mental health of employees across companies uh, on personal level as well, it has got into a lot of uh, attention. Uh, By trade, Brian is a software developer. He combines his experience in the tech world with previous mental health battles to draw parallels between computer systems and the human mind and give readers practical strategies for evading their own psychological demons. Brian currently has two books on the market, Get Out of Your Head, a toolkit for living with and overcoming anxiety, and Get Out of Your Head, Volume 2, Navigating the Abyss of Depression. His mission is to help as many sufferers as possible through not only those books, but also with his blog and podcast appearances. So, you know, I, I, I am uh, grateful that he took, he agreed to come on the show and speak about the topic without further delay. Let me bring him on. Hey, Brian. Hey, Vivek, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. Fantastic. The slight delay, uh, this delays give me panic, you know, when the guest uh, takes a bit, a bit of a time to join because one day I was waiting for a guest and she didn't turn up. So it was such an embarrassing event live. So this time uh, I just hold on to it. I was like, fingers crossed. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad to see you. How are yeah. you doing otherwise? Uh, uh, you, uh, you said you are traveling. Where are you traveling to, etc., etc.? I was skiing this weekend, so I was I was coming back home from that, and the weather conditions were not great, so it was a little bit of slow driving and trying to stay safe. But I am fantastic. back home, and I am good. So thank you. Fantastic, fantastic. Thank you so much, uh, you know, for uh, agreeing to come on the show and talk about this topic, which is pretty difficult for people to even uh, discuss openly. You know, uh, so you have your own journey in this area. Uh, you have come out of it. You have you now help others do it, so which is fantastic. So uh, I have curated a set of questions based on the topic. Uh, if you are ready, we can start off. That sounds great. Absolutely. So uh, you know, uh, let's let's start with negative thoughts and overthinking. So Brian, uh, tell me, how can we even identify negative thoughts? You know, people sometimes may not think that. Uh, they're thinking negatively. It's it's a it's a it's been a practice for several years. So how can we identify negative thoughts and patterns of overthinking in our own minds? Definitely, I think sort of the key word that I want to hone in on here is mindfulness. And I also want to emphasize the point that you know in the in the self help world, there's a lot of like there's a lot of terms that get boiled down and thrown at our faces and sort of like dressed up and wrapped up nicely and whatnot, right? Where it's like, right. oh, identify negative thoughts this quickly and like vanquish all anxiety in an instant or something like that. It's like, right. you, you'll, I think if you come across a lot of my content, if you read my blogs, my books, stuff like that, you'll see that like, I don't sugarcoat things. I don't, I don't, you know, dress things up. I don't, uh, I like to say that it's a no BS approach, right? It's like, I'll, I'll, right. I'll give it to you straight. Uh, one of the reason why I say that right now is the fact that like identifying negative thinking can take some time, right? It's not like I'm sitting at my desk and I magically have this epiphany that I, I am dealing with anxiety and these are my negative thoughts and these are my positive ones or something like that. This is a journey, right? Where it's like right. a lot of the times what happens is 
somebody has negative emotions that without even them realizing it, they are perpetuating in their own mind. And after a certain amount of pain, right? It's like one day they wake up or they are living their life and they're saying, wow, whatever this is that is occurring is so painful that it needs to stop. And that is sort of the entry point into the journey for each individual person towards healing, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to identifying negative thoughts, it's more like we almost need to have experience with negative thoughts for some amount of time. You know, it it could be on the short end, but most likely it will be a few months, a few years, something like that. Eventually we will say to ourselves, oh, wait a second. I have so much input, like in terms of how many thoughts that I've generated, negative thoughts, right? I have so much experience and I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about uh, any person, right? They they will say this to themselves. I have a lot of experience here in knowing that, okay, I'm, I see these, these certain kinds of thoughts in my mind and I'm starting to develop or see a pattern here. It's like, when I think X, I feel Y. And so the, you know, why I talk about why why I wanted to talk about mindfulness with, with this answer is mindfulness is, is basically sort of like bringing a sense of awareness, a, a sense of understanding to our daily lives and being able to identify these patterns and also say, oh, I am understanding that I am doing this certain thing and it's leading to this specific outcome. And so after a certain amount of time, I think we're sort of predisposed or, you know, sort of wired to come up with these conclusions and say, oh, wait a second. I have thought this kind of thought so many times in the past. I'm thinking it right now and I'm feeling the same way I thought all those other times. It's right. sort That becomes the epiphany of being like, wait a minute, I now realize that I need to stop these, these certain kinds of thoughts because I don't want to feel these particularly kind, uh, p- particular kinds of ways again in the future. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, I'm a classic example for that, uh, that kind of living, you know, because you are used to those thoughts, you never sit back and think whether they are good for you or bad. Uh, and I reached a point where, uh, you know, I, I started getting anxiety attacks exactly at 5 a.m. in the morning, you know, and uh, I was living alone from my family. Uh, that's when I started paying attention to the thoughts and mindfulness practices and things like that. And it has helped me become much better. Or at least I'm, I'm sleeping well, I'm eating well, I'm thinking clearly. So all those things. So yeah, we will get into more details, but uh, I love the way you have put it across the first, uh, you know, how to identify the negative thoughts. Okay, so let's, let's, uh, let's, get into a little bit into details of that like what are the common some of the common causes of negative thoughts and overthinking according to you sure and i I do just want to say um sorry to hear that you know you have gone through those those episodes in the morning glad to hear that it's starting to get a little bit better but um i think the sort of i don't know the 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 human in me can't hear those stories and and not address them right so uh, glad to hear that they're starting to go a little bit better um So the question just to repeat it, I believe, was, you know, causes of, of negative thoughts, right? Yes. So this is another one of those questions, right, where it's like, I will give the, the, the real answer. I will not dress this up or anything like that. Right. And, and I think it's important to state this answer because it eventually will show you that, like, there's nothing wrong with us. This is sort of the way that we are wired, right? So if you think about human psychology and evolution and the way that we survived over time, our species, right? Right. So one of the theories in this circle is that over time, right, uh, or I guess just the theory of evolution, and we'll apply it to to our psychology. So theory of evolution and natural selection and whatnot, right, is is that traits and genetics and um, behaviors and whatnot that were that sort of promoted our survival over time were more, more likely uh, to subsist in the gene pool and then live on uh, throughout generations, right? So, for example, if um, if there was a tribe of of folks that was was fast, right? They could run, uh, they could run quickly, uh, and then right. there was a, an, another tribe that was slower. Um, let's just say both of those tribes were regularly uh, facing tigers out in the wild, right? right? It's not hard to see that the faster tribe would likely live longer than the slower tribe because. Uh, the tigers are going to get to the slower ones faster, right? And I think that's a pretty common example from textbooks yeah. and whatnot in terms of survival of the fittest and, and all that. Right. If you apply that that same kind of notion to our psychology, you know, our psychological lives, our minds, whatever you want to call it, um, 
essentially right like and it's it's along the same lines is in order to run away from a threat we first need to be able to detect that that threat is is real uh and, and is actually a a um a substantial threat in front of us right so it's like right. if we see a tiger and we're like oh that that's a cute little cat like nothing wrong with that and then it eats us um that's that obviously doesn't help promote our survival and and, and i I understand that there's, you know, depending on the type of prey that's in front of you, right? Like sometimes they say if, if there's a bear in front of you, maybe you want to, you know, play dead or be quiet or whatever. But we right. still need to to have some sort of mechanism in our minds that says that is a threat and you need to address it immediately. And so right. going on the natural selection evolution kind of uh, line of thinking, it's basically the, it's similar to, the, uh, the you know, the, the case that I presented a second ago, second ago, which is basically the faster that we can identify those threats. And what that basically means is the faster that our bodies can rev up uh, their sort of fight or flight response, the quicker we will be able to evade those kinds of threats. And so right. if we take that line of thinking even further, all the way out into you know modern society, right? Um, when we say, what are some of the causes of negative thinking? A lot of, a lot of the base case or the, 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 the main place that those thoughts emanate from is sort of the, uh, this notion of like a negativity bias. And that is right. right along the same lines of being able to respond to threats, identify threats, that sort of thing. So the negativity right. bias is this notion that they, they talk about a lot in psychology, which is basically our brains are hardwired uh, to look at and consider things that could scare us, could uh, threaten our survival, kill us before we think about, consider, uh, stew on things that could make us happy, joyous, something like that. So right. why, why I like to give this long ramble um, about the negativity, you know, the brain's negativity bias is a lot of people will say like, you know, I'm having all these negative thoughts. I need to stop them. Like, you know, it, it might be my own doing or something like that. Sure, it could be. Um, but right. a large source of negative thoughts comes from the fact that we exist, that we are humans right. and we are constantly in this state of fight or flight in a scary and uncertain world, right? So right. I think we need to give ourselves some credit sometimes to be able to say like, hey, this this isn't necessarily my doing. This is the product of the environment that I live in. Once we're able to make that distinction, we can like just being able to say that to ourselves, right? It's, it's almost this reassuring thought. Um, right. And that allows us to turn off some of, you know, our, our other, some of the other negative emotions we we get alongside uh, that that come alongside us saying to ourselves like, oh, I'm I'm thinking this way, I'm feeling this way, I shouldn't be thinking this way, I shouldn't be feeling this way. It's us saying to ourselves like, no, 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 like I, I know it's not pleasant, but it's totally okay. Um, and right. then it's sort of this counterintuitive thing where it's like once you sort of allow the negative thoughts to be there, you neutralize them, and then you're able to look away from them more readily. Got it. Got it. Yeah, actually, uh, you know, it's it's very common for people to say. Uh, you know, you, uh, label people as negative people, uh, stay away from these kind of people, etc. But but then there is a the way you answered. There's a lot lot many reasons that that's beneath the surface uh, why people why we all behave in certain way. So that's that's absolutely fantastic. Uh, right. So uh, let's move on to some practical strategies. So what are some of the practical strategies? Right. I know. I know we are primed or we are, we are programmed like this. So what are the, some practical ways I can or everybody can break free from these negative thinking or negative thoughts and overthinking, basically? Yeah. So it's a good question. And I think one of the ways that I like to frame the answer to this question on a lot of different shows is by talking about my first book. So I will just restate that and then we'll talk about like the, the sure. specific details or parts of it. So that book is called Get Out of Your Head, a Toolkit for Living with and Overcoming Anxiety. Uh, the book is split into two parts, and, and I'll, I'll talk about why I, I want to talk about, you know, one of those parts, right, is so the first part is called Zooming In, which is basically looking at acutely anxiety-provoking situations or situations in which we are already feeling fearful uh, or, right. or, you know, things that are on our calendars over which we, uh, that are coming soon that, that we're going to be fearful about, right? The, right? the second part of the book is called Zooming Out, and it's more like, taking a high level approach and saying, how do we build lives that have less anxiety in them overall? So we're going to put right. that second part of the book aside for now, and we're going to focus on the first part of the book. So in that first half, zooming out, uh, I present a framework called the 10 steps to getting out of your head. Uh, those steps are basically just like 10 simple actions, 10 simple um, tactics that you can, strategies you can enlist when you are feeling anxious already to sort of walk some of that fear back. So 
why don't we jump into a few of them? I have a, a few outlined here that I want to talk about um, quickly Absolutely. and feel free to butt in if you have any questions or anything sure. like that. Um, so step one on this list, and it's going to sound <laughs> kind of obvious. I'm, I, I like to say that this is sort of like a, um, like a, a, a no S Sherlock sort of, sort of um, strategy, but it's uh, so the, the step itself is just breathe. Right. And I'll say, you know, I, I want to, I like to preface this one sometimes because it's like, if you turn to somebody and you're like, Hey, just breathe, man. Like sometimes <laughs> there'll be this defensive reaction, right. Of like, well, right. of course, like, I, yeah, of course I have to breathe, whatever. Right. It's, it's not a right. blow your socks off, uh, you know, rocket science sort of strategy, but they're right. just, just as like, we've talked about some of the evolution, evolutionary psychology, the way our, you know, our bodies are wired and that sort of thing. There's a lot of science behind this one. Um, right. I, because I want to cover a couple steps here, I will go quickly on this one. Sure. But basically, uh, you know, so we've got our fight or flight mechanisms uh, or the fight or flight response that lives within our body. Um, that is called the sympathetic nervous system. Uh, okay. There is also like a, a different division of our autonomic nervous system that gets us to calm down. That is called our parasympathetic nervous system. And so right. in order to get the parasympathetic nervous system to activate, we need to breathe deeply. Uh, specifically, we need to breathe out deeply, like mm. we need to exhale deeply. But obviously, right. if you're not breathing much at all, right? If, if you're breathing shallowly in your chest and you're sort of doing one of those hyperventilating, like, right? Um, you are not getting that full exhale out and you are not activating the parasympathetic nervous system. So when I say breathe, it, it is it is not meant to be curt or something like that or flippant. Right. It is like, there is science here uh, that says that like one of the most reliable ways to activate your parasympathetic nervous system is to exhale deeply. So we wanna right. do that, right? And then once we feel a little bit more calm, all of those things that are going on inside our bodies when we're anxious. So, you know, the neurotransmitters, the heart racing, the blood pumping, those things will calm down. And I think, you know, a lot of us who experience anxiety, we will say that once those things taper off, we will feel better. And then the thoughts accompanying all those symptoms will sort of either mitigate or go away as well. So that's right. one strategy that I want to cover. Um, any questions on that one before I jump to the next one? No, you can proceed. No worries. Okay, cool. So, the next one I'm going to jump into, and I don't, I don't cover this one a lot on podcasts, but I am trying to get in the habit of, of talking about new subjects. So forgive me if I stumble on this one a little bit. I don't have the script down entirely yet. But so this is step six, um, and it is called stop questioning yourself. Now, obviously, like, that's a, a vague notion, right? It's like stop questioning myself. I, I don't know exactly what that means. That's why we're going right. to talk about it, right? So a lot of the times when we have something that is upcoming an event let's just say we're going on a job interview next week and the job interview is something that is important to us it scares us whatever right because it scares us that means there's a lot we 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 perceive a lot of uncertainty surrounding that event one of the ways that we sometimes try to gain certainty over something that scares us is by jumping into our heads and trying to rehearse that specific scenario right um, right there are many reasons why we might do that, or we may have learned to do that. So let's just say one of them, right, is over the course of time, we've heard from parents and teachers and um, mentors and, uh, you know, sort of self-help gurus and stuff like that, that in order for something to be to make manifest in the real world, we need to first create it in our minds, right? We need to see ourselves doing and attaining what it is that we want before that thing can come to fruition in the real world. Um, right. I, I would, you know, in my writing, I like to call BS on that. I just don't think that that is an accurate statement, right? And the example that I give is like, if you go to the gym and you are trying to set a personal record on the, the squat rack, right? Does every single person that has ever set a personal record see themselves getting up to the rack, you know, having all the plates on the bar, doing the full squat, putting the, putting the weight back and, and then celebrating? I, I think the answer is no, right? So it's like, right. sure, that that strategy of of for you know, sort of seeing yourself doing what it is that you that you desire, it could be helpful, right? And to some people, it is right. helpful. But I think for those of us who deal with anxiety, it is actually another way into our heads and another way to perpetuate fear and a lot of our negative emotions. Right. So when when kind of coming back to this this step called right, uh, uh, stop questioning yourself. When we are going into those ruminative cycles of trying to envision ourselves doing the things that we want to do, um, what we're really doing is we are questioning the outcome 
uh, that is that is in front of us, right? If you right. knew with absolute certainty that you were going to lift, uh, if you if like if you knew with absolute certainty you were going to step up to the squat rack and set that personal record, you probably wouldn't think about it at all, right? You'd just go right. about your day uh, in the same fashion that it's like, I don't need to see myself brushing my teeth every night. I just, right. it's, it's a subconscious routine at this point. I just know I can do it. Everybody knows they can do it, right? And they just do it. And so right. why I say it's important to stop questioning ourselves is because the more that we go into those rehearsal scenarios, uh, again, right. the strategy could like questioning or rehearsing could be helpful for some, but I, I think it's not for most. Um, when we go into those scenarios, we are signaling to our brains and to our bodies that we don't know what the outcome is going to be. And when we send that subconscious message to our brains and to our bodies, what they pick up in turn is, oh my goodness, there's a lot of uncertainty here. Um, there is potentially a threat here, right? Why would you be stewing on something if it didn't mean much to you? Um, right. So the, our brains take that message and say, we need to sound the proverbial alarms because what you're telling us right now is that this situation, if handled improperly, could lead to bad outcomes. Right. And so when we stop doing those rehearsal behaviors, when we get out of our own heads, uh, we then send the subconscious message to our brains to say like, hey, everything's good here. You know, uh, don't worry about this one. Like, and I, and I don't mean that from a, a thinking perspective. I mean, like, you know, the the autonomic nervous system, the, the fight or flight system, right? It's like, you guys are good. Like, like power down the systems. Uh, you don't have to uh, keep sounding those alarms for this one, right? So right, um, right. I'm going to move on to the, the last step that I want to talk about. But first, any questions on that one? No, absolutely, absolutely, perfectly ex explained, actually. Okay, cool. So I'm currently in the middle of a, a short edit of uh, my first book, and I think the edit will be coming out later. Well, it will be coming out later this year. I just don't have an exact release date on it. So in the right. original, if you buy the book today, um, the step that I'm going to talk about is step eight. Uh, for the rewrite, I have shifted it up to step seven. So either way, the step that we're going to talk about is called get back to the present moment. Um, and right. I, one of the reasons I want to talk about this one is that I feel as though it transitions well from the step that we just talked about, right? So if you think about anxiety in general, um, for the most part, I'd say 99% of cases, something like that, they are a product of living off in the future, right? We are sitting in our rooms today, sitting at the office, thinking about what could happen one day, what might happen tomorrow, what um, negative thing awaits us, what scary thing awaits us a month from now, a year from now, something like that. Right. If we are able to put those thought patterns down and say, you know what, I'm not going to think about tomorrow for a second. I'm not going to worry about what next month is going to bring me. A lot of the time we can get ourselves out of anxiety. That obviously the challenging thing is that that is also the, the, what I just mentioned is also sort of a vague notion, right? Where it's like, oh, yeah. just stop thinking about tomorrow. It's just so abstract and nebulous that it's really hard to, um, it's, it's, it's hard to conceptualize and really do anything about. What I really am sort of getting at with this one is, is going back to the core ethos of the brand, right? It is, we, we can almost think of like um, being present is, is equal to not being in our heads. So if right. we are present, right, we are observing what is happening around us. We are engaging in activities this moment that keep us out of our minds, that keep us blissfully distracted, those sorts of things. Um, the reason why I talk about this one in relation to the previous step that we talked about, right, is like, so sometimes when we are doing those rehearsal sessions that we talked about in step six, and we're saying, oh, you know, I'm, I, I'm really terrified of that, that, that job interview next week, something like that. Sometimes we then get to those events. And right. then the next thing we know, we're stepping out of the office, the interview's over, and our thinking mind comes back. Right. And we're like, what the heck just even happened? I don't even, like, I almost blacked out. I don't even right. remember being there. I don't remember thinking about these things. I don't remember saying these things. And we, we don't actually black out, right? But what happens right. is we get so present in those events. We, we get out of our heads. Um, we are sort of living in our hearts, so to speak, right? Um, and right. it's a, a completely different experience than what we were envisioning in the weeks leading up to it when right. we were doing all that rehearsal. 
So the reason why I like to talk about these two steps, you know, in, in tandem is the fact that like, if we are able to get ourselves to that sort of experience uh, in relation with step six, uh, which is, you know, stop questioning yourself. We can then say, sometimes say to ourselves, wow, I just had a true experience of presence. And I understand that the more I'm able to cultivate those sort of experiences, the less anxiety I'm going to have. And the reason why that's important, right, is like so, so many times with self-help and, um, you know, uh, anxiety, mental health, all that sort of stuff, we have these limiting beliefs. And we say to ourselves, for example, I don't think that I can perform well at this job interview. I am afraid of what's going to happen. And then all of a sudden, maybe, right, we get out of our heads, we have a sort of belief shifting experience. And now we have this evidence that it's like, we don't know what to do with this anymore. Because if we were to truly believe that we are capable of what we just did, we wouldn't necessarily, like if we really believed it, that that sort of thought, that sort of belief does not, it, it doesn't go, it doesn't bode well, right? It doesn't sit with our anxiety, it, our, our notion of saying like, I have to rehearse this event. I don't think I'm capable of doing these things. And so right. when we have those experiences, we're starting to poke holes in our pre-existing limiting beliefs. And I know those, you know, things like that, terms like that get thrown around a lot in the self-help world. But when it comes to anxiety, when you have those experiences, they are really profound because then it's like, all of a sudden, I cannot logically hold on to t- those two beliefs at the same time. And eventually with enough of those experiences, we will allow ourselves to be more present in the face of those things that scare us. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I just loved uh, listening uh, to those answers because, you know, uh, when you're talking about these uh, tips or maybe the, the maybe hacks or whatever you want to call it, uh, I can feel that it's it's been done, it's been written or devised by somebody who has gone through something and found a real solution. It's not like uh, the typical self-help mental health books uh, you will read about you know these are real things which you can do and see profound changes in your life uh, you know so uh, people who are listening to this right now or maybe when i put it up on my youtube channel uh, you know my request is go to getoutofyourhead.com uh, brian has a lot of amazing stuff up there his book is up on amazon get a copy go through these tips and find out which one is where are you and what what tips will apply to your specific situation you know so that is my recommendation at this point all right uh, so moving on you know i i want to talk about reframing right for example uh, this this is a term which a lot of experts talk about a lot of uh, people who do research on mental health talk about so you know how can we reframe our negative thoughts in a more positive light uh, is there any tips from your side? Yeah, this, this is a tough one to answer. I think in general, uh, right. th- it's it's such a case-by-case basis. And it's also right. like, you know, everybody has their own negative thoughts and everybody has their own ways of, of dealing with them. In general, right. what, what what we are talking about when we, when we ask this question is sort of the broad notion of coping me- mechanisms, right? So how right. is it that we face negative thoughts and deal with them? How do we live in spite of them? How do we change them such that we feel fewer negative emotions when they come into our lives? Uh, right. It's a difficult question to answer, honestly. Um, Absolutely. And I think, I think you know, possibly, and I, I hate sometimes when I kind of lead the question in a, in a different fashion, but I feel no like I have to. Um, I think one of, I, I would say probably the the better goal here would be to neutralize negative thoughts and then turn away from them. So a lot of the work that I do, a lot of my writing, you will see, um, involves or deals with distracting ourselves. And one of the reasons for that is like, you eventually get to the point where you chew over negative thoughts so much that you realize that no matter how you look at them, no matter how you think about them or try to solve them or something like that, Sure, you can neutralize them. You could you could use some coping mechanism to say like, hey, I'm feeling as though I'm not capable of this thing right now. You could reframe that and say, you know what? That is a product of my anxiety and my fear telling me that what is about to happen might not happen. When in reality, if I didn't feel fearful, 
that belief, you know, the beliefs that I hold would not be tainted, would not be colored in the same fashion. And so if I can get myself thinking in a different light, if I can get myself feeling a little bit better, that, you know, the weight that those negative thoughts uh, have, they won't hold so much weight, right? So that that's just one specific example um, right. of how we can do uh, that sort of thing. But I guess going back to the distraction piece, right? It's like, because I'm trying to trying to give like a, a specific example, right? But it's like, you know, in, in my book, in my first book, I talk about uh, these three tenets of anxiety. Um, right. One of them is the fact that you cannot solve anxiety, right? It's like anxiety is sort of just an emotion and you can't really solve or uh, figure out emotions. You can really just like act on them and let them flow through you in some capacity. So it's like the right. more that we stew on negative thoughts, the more we focus on them, the more negative we're going to feel, right? So there's two, there's, there's sort of two strategies there. One is, you know, basically the question that you asked is like, how can we reframe them? So they're not so negative. The other is, you know, the one that I'm inserting into the conversation here, which is like, can we look away from them? And then by product of doing that, can we not experience so much of the negativity that comes alongside them? So the first piece is, is difficult. And that kind of the reason why I'm stumbling on this one a little bit is like, we all have our own ways of coping. We all have our right. own ways of reframing. And a lot of those like reframing tools have to do with our own personalities. Right. Um, when it comes to distracting, like it's easier to talk about that because it's a, it's a broad enough notion that we can say that like, no matter how it is that you distract yourself from the noise in your head, that's what you need to do to stop feeling so negative. Right. And so Got a lot of the 10 steps uh, or a lot of the, the steps in the, the list of, uh, you know, 10 steps to getting out of your head, they are one way or another involved in distraction, right? It's like that if you boil them down, they are all ways to get out of your head. And what does to get out of your head mean, right? To distract yourself from negative thoughts or to distract yourself from the voices in your mind. Um, one of the things that I, I guess I like to talk about here as well is like, there is always the opportunity to um, sort of rehash negative thoughts, right? It's almost as if like, if you think about the way that a scab forms on our body, right? It's like, right. okay, so let's say we get a cut that we could sort of equate that cut on our body to the, the physical form of a negative thought. Eventually, right. right? If, if, if we reframe that thought or our bodies have enough time to heal, a scab will form. And all of a sudden it's like, that it, I'm, I, it's, it's tough because I'm trying to keep two metaphors at the same time, but it's like <laughs> you know, that scab now is, is, is sort of, uh, you know, it's not bleeding anymore. And the, the cut is not bleeding. And at the same time, that negative thought is neutralized in our minds and it's not causing oh. as much anguish. Now, right. the difficulty, and this is why the distraction piece is so important, is like if we wanted to at any point in time, we could go back over to, you know, the place where our cut exists and we could pick at that scab. It'll start bleeding again. It'll start pussing, all this sorts of stuff, right? So the difficulty with focusing on the negative thoughts and saying like, how do I reframe them into something positive is like the more time that we spend with them, the more likely, likely we are to pick the scab, so to speak, right? And to di dive back into negativity spirals. And so it's like, I guess sort of once that scab forms, either you know physically or metaphorically, it's like the next thing to do is to stop picking at it and go look at something else. And how do we go look at something else? It's like we pull out our mental health toolkits and we figure out like which distraction technique is going to be most beneficial for us right now. Um, I think the other thing that is important with the distraction piece is, you know, if I said to you, hey, um, why don't you stop overthinking, right? Why don't you stop <laughs> focusing on this negative thought? If I don't give you something else to do in place of that mental activity, it's like within a minute, you're going to go right back to it, right? So it's, it's absolutely. Sort of, you know, people talk about the monkey mind in right. uh, in psychology, and it's basically like understanding that on some level we are animals, right? And and we are right. there are parts of our brains that are quote unquote dumb, right? Right. And it's like I know it sounds kind of ridiculous, but it's like uh, just like with a baby, right? If a baby is crying, you give it a different toy, um, and right. so it's like for us, we need to give ourselves a different metaphorical toy, and that is usually some distraction technique. So it could be going for a walk. It could be listening to our favorite song, doing some jumping jacks. Uh, again, there's a lot of other strategies that I talk about in my first book um, when it comes to anxiety. So long-winded answer there, but I think that covers it.
Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, rather, it's it's good to have these kind of distractions, and you know what works for you better. So better to focus on that. All right. So uh, other thing which uh, everybody talks about when it comes to anxiety and negative thoughts is self compassion and self care. So uh, in your experience, uh, how can somebody practice self compassion and self care to break free from negative thoughts and overthinking? Yeah, I mean, I think in a lot of ways, we've talked about this already, right? So yeah. some of it is, is sort of like getting that broad base of knowledge in understanding how anxiety works, and then being able to pick that, take that knowledge and, and apply it or remind ourselves of it when we are feeling a, a particular kind of way, right? So yeah. uh, the, the example that I'm going to point at is the, the one where we talked about with the negativity bias, right? Our, our brain's uh, proclivity to think about and focus on things that could scare us or uh, hurt us or kill us or something like that. It's like, once we understand that that is the actual source of our negative thinking, or, or for the most part, it is right. We are then able to reassure ourselves that, you know, we as people, as, um, you know, I, I, individuals, right. With personalities and whatnot, it's like our personalities are probably not the problem. Uh, once we have that reassurance, all of a sudden it's like, we're sending those subconscious messages back to our brains and bodies. Our brains and bodies are interpreting those messages and saying, oh, okay, I guess I can turn off the alarms here. And then all of a sudden, like, again, the, the, the heart stops racing, you know, the blood stops pumping. And then alongside that, we're like, oh, I'm feeling a little bit calm right now. And because we feel calm, it's, it's this cascade, right? All of a sudden, it's like, I feel calm. I don't feel the need necessarily to think such negative thoughts anymore because I don't have these like fear neurotransmitters uh, coursing, you know, through my brain. So um, I honestly, that is, that is sort of the, that, that's the pith of the answer. I almost equate it to like, you know, you go to college um, when you're 19 years old, 20 years old, whatever, you're taking these like, you know, there's, there's, there's like a core curriculum that you have to follow. And it's like, there's some math, there's some science. And I mean, in high school, it's the same, same right. concept, right? right? But it's like maybe some philosophy, theology, whatever. And as a 19 year old, you're like, I just want to do X, Y, Z, right? I always want to write, you know, mobile apps, computer code. I want to paint. I want to, you know, go do legal cases or something like that. Like, what is the point of all this introductory knowledge? Um, right. And eventually I think you, you grow up and you realize that like, it gives you this base of being able to look at problems and understand things in a particular kind of way. And so it's like the reason why I talk about this stuff in my own books is like, it's, it gives you that base case of knowledge to be able to go back and say like, okay, yeah, sure. There's this one specific strategy that might help me in this situation or whatever. What is better, like what, what is more advantageous for us is to have a large base of knowledge to be able to say, I understand how this thing works in general. That allows me to look at it in these different fashions. Those perspective then, perspectives then allow me to change my thoughts, allow my, me to send subconscious messages to my brain and body, which then you know lower the fight or flight response in the moment. So all of that stuff is really important. Um, and I think it's better to have that stuff than to be like, hey, this is the specific one thing that helps you reframe thoughts or, or something like that, right? Right, right, right. So when it comes to anxiety and overthinking and things like that, people uh, relate or people keep using phrases about their past experiences or maybe childhood traumas, etc. So, uh, you know, how do our past experiences and traumatic events affect our negative thoughts and these overthinking patterns? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this this one is is probably too long of an answer. Like we could do a podcast series on this, right? And I'm not saying we have to. I'm just saying like it's a long answer. And um, if yep. you think about it, right, it's like that. This is one of the main reasons why a lot of people go to therapy. There are other reasons as well, right? But it's like right. a lot of us have things that have happened in our past that have stuck with us, and those right. become either our triggers or our reminders. They are those events are hardwired into our our DNA, into our bodies. Right. And they sort of create this new map for us. Uh, they create sort of like a, a new, I guess a map is one way of saying it, but also like they put these glasses on us that change right. the way that we see the world. And so, you know, if, if you think about it, right, it's like, have you ever, I guess, like, you know, sometimes people say like, we see the world as, uh, as we are, not as it is. It's like, right. if, if we are, you know, if, um, if we are constantly thinking about, um, so people being devious or people committing crimes or like cheating us, stealing from us, whatever. We may look at people around, you know, we'll have conversations with people and say to ourselves, 
oh, that guy, yeah, totally not a good person, totally right. like doing ski, uh, skeevy things or whatever. It's right. like, but that is that is our mindset when in reality, like maybe that person was just nervous, right? Maybe they right. were having a bad day or something like that. But we see them as a product of our own internal filters rather than like who they truly are. And so it's right. like when we experience trauma, those experiences then stick with us. And we have these glasses on and all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to give too many examples here because they are wide ranging and also like you, right. you get into the personal side of things. And I, I don't know, I don't want to use the wrong terms and offend people. Right. But if, right. if somebody had some great, um, gr what's the right, right word? It's like injustice happened to them earlier in their lives. That experience could then become the filter through which they see the world. Right. And say their brain, and it's, it's really of no fault of their own. It's, it's, this is how the brain works is like, the brain keeps that memory at the top of its mind or, or it's, it's pulling the strings maybe in the shadows without the person even realizing. And everything that that person then sees in the future could be a subtle reminder of that event. It could also be like a, a warning shot to be like, this thing is about to happen again right in front of me, right? It, right. It's, it's that same thing as, you know, if I see somebody as um, untrustworthy, as, as a, a product of, of my own filters, it's like if somebody did something to me as a child or something like that, I may then be suspicious that that is about to happen or those people, whoever I'm looking at is about to commit that same act to me again in the future. That stuff's right. really difficult, right? It takes a long time to peel back all those layers, work through that trauma. I think sort of the, the takeaway that can be important here is, is to understand that that sometimes the triggers and the sources of our negative thoughts, even though evolution has a lot to do with it, like, you know, in psychology, we talk about nurture versus nature. Uh, nature would be the evolutionary psychology side of things. Nurture would be like, you know, what were our experiences? And both of those things play into how we interpret the world and, and the people that we are. So I guess I can't really give enough information here that would be specific to act on. But I think right. it is important to know that those experiences, you know, key significant emotional events can stick with us and they can change the way that we see the world and they can then become triggers, um, you know, for future negative emotions, even when, even if they, you know, things that we are going through don't have any direct correlation um, to the events we experienced in the past. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, I think past experiences, obviously everybody knows that have an impact on you rather than being, uh, being uh, unaware of it, putting, throwing some light on it, will make you aware of, okay, this is a trigger point for me. Let me not increase that. You know, so you also touched upon therapy. So my next question is, how can therapy and counseling help us to break free from these negative thinking or maybe the, the overthinking, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, so if we kind of back up a little bit, right? Like any, any strategy that we enlist or any healing modality or journey like path that we go down is a way right. for us to potentially learn more about the subject that we're dealing with, right? So anxiety, depression, something like that. Uh, maybe ourselves, the way that we think, the way, the, the beliefs that we have, and also some of our experiences and how we make sense of the world, right? So it's right. like each, each path that we go down can be beneficial. I think one of the tough things is like figuring out there, there's no one size fits all to mental health challenges, right? Right in terms of like dealing with them, um, getting ourselves towards healing, whatever. I think we have to figure out like what resonates with us and also like our personalities and that sort of thing. Like some people like to read, right? And so maybe they find a book or a podcast or an audio book or something like that. Um, and that can be the, the sort of kickstart to uh, a healing journey. Maybe somebody on the other hand has, you know, held everything in for a long time. They don't know where else to turn. They don't have friends and family that they feel are supportive enough or something like that. Or maybe they just want to talk to a professional. Like none of this stuff, um, like there is no right or wrong answer here, right? It's, right? it's more just like eventually people get to the point where they're like, I need to do something. And they will look for certain different kinds of ways um, to find them, to get themselves help, right? If I guess to try to be a little bit more specific, if we talk about therapy for a moment, right? It's like the, the beautiful thing about therapy is like, unless you have a really close friend or, um, you know, a, a loving parent or something like that. And a lot of us do, um, right. 
it can be hard for us, especially in this society, in, a, in American society, or even just modern society, right? Um, to really express what it is that we are dealing with, to talk about our traumas, to talk about our shortcomings and whatnot. Therapy right. gives you a safe space to do that, right? A, a doctor has taken an oath to help you. They have also taken an oath to, you know, ad, uh, adhere to, you know, uh, patient confi uh, client patient confidentiality, that sort of thing, where it's like, you can be confident that the stories and the, the thoughts and beliefs that you are going to share with that professional are not going to leave that room. Or at, at the very least, right. um, they are going to be um, obfuscated, like your name will be left out of it. And, and the details that would, you know, identify you as a person, uh, those details will be left out of future conversations or whatever. So right. I think therapy can be really beneficial for many reasons. One is it gives us that safe space to be able to talk about um, some of the things that we are struggling with. The other is that like, you know, we are all creatures of habit and right. sometimes what, like what we all need, like, you know, somebody may say, Hey, you know, you got to start eating better. You got to, you know, go to the gym every day or whatever it is. Sometimes if we don't like, even though we have good intentions, if we don't have things on our calendar, like, Hey, here's my hour where I go to the gym or whatever, the day can just pass us by. And we don't do those things. The nice right. thing about therapy, and I'm not trying to like boil it down into just this, obviously there's, there's many great things about therapy. But from a, a human standpoint, right, it's like if you have an appointment on your calendar on Tuesday at 5 p.m., guess what? You're going to that appointment, right? So right. it allows us to schedule time for ourselves. It allows us to schedule time to heal. Whereas like, let's say we don't decide to go to the therapist and we're like, I'll read that book one day. I, I definitely will. Guess what? I hate to break it to you, but for most people, six months will go by and that book will be sitting on the shelf collecting dust. So um, there's a lot of great reasons for getting into all these different things. Again, it comes down to like figuring out what works for you, right? If you know you're somebody, you're somebody that needs that sort of um, predictable event on the calendar or something that is scheduled, then therapy can be great. Uh, at the same time, right? It's like nothing is without pros and cons. Maybe you, uh, you know, book a, uh, your first appointment with a therapist and, and you don't resonate with the, the doctor that they have given you. It's like, okay, right. maybe you need to go find somebody else. Maybe you also work through a lot of therapists and all of a sudden you say, you know what, this approach isn't working for me. I'm going to go try something else. That's the important, like that is, I guess, <laughs> taking this back to my content, right? Is like, I talk about this notion of a mental health toolkit. The right. idea is basically, I will throw a lot of different ideas at you. You have to try them on, so to speak, see which ones fit, which ones don't. You take the ones that you like, you put them in your mental health toolkit. And then when you are not feeling like yourself, when you're feeling lousy, uh, you pull out ones that are relevant to the situation in front of you. And, you know, a lot of those strategies uh, in terms of my books will be things like distracting ourselves and the 10 steps and, and yada, yada. Um, but the, the notion extends and applies to therapy and to medication and all those different sorts of things. It's like we all need to come up with a custom tailored solution uh, that that fits all of our personalities. Otherwise, it's like uh, we probably won't get to where it is that we're looking to go. We, we can't we can't really genericize this stuff because it is it is so personal. Absolutely. Absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, you know, to the point you mentioned that American society still uh, doesn't consider all this as mainstream. Uh, it's much worse in this part of the world. Uh, here, parents may not accept that their kid needs to go to a therapist. It, it is still considered as a taboo in many families, etc. So it's a it's a it's an individual choice, but I highly recommend it to people. Uh, and uh, I highly recommend to my friends who have gone through tough times because I have been there. So I try to help them with whatever uh, I can. Cool. So my next question, it, I don't know whether it will fit into get out of your head model because it's about positive affirmations. Uh, so how, how, do you think positive affirmations can be used to reprogram our thoughts and break free from negative patterns? Yeah, absolutely. Um... You know, it's like some of my content has this like darkness or like almost like, I don't know what the like slightly like misanthropic sort of vibe to it at times. Right. right? Um, but there's that's not to say that there's no positivity in my brand whatsoever. Like at the end of the day. Right. The mission of the brand is to help people overcome anxiety and depression or at the very least manage it. That is right. very positive. I think it's more that the, the means by which we get there are non-traditional, are non uh, sort of uh, rainbows and unicorns so to speak. Right. right? Um, right. but it, it's like everything that I talk about, I, I try to make sure is rooted in science and practicality and whatnot. It's like how I'm going to answer this question, right? Is there's the notion in psychology that neurons that fire together, wire together. That is basically just the notion that like 
the more that we think about um, a specific subject or the more that we talk about something or feel something, the more we create like, you know, our neurons sort of like we create patterns in our minds where those specific things exist. People sometimes talk about uh, the same notion as like um, a sledding hill. And like, it's like the more that you go down the same path on the sledding hill, the more the tracks of the the sled get carved into the ground. Right. So it's like, if I have spent 10 years, you know, thinking about negative things, ruminating over negative things, I have a well-established pattern in my mind or somebody else does for that kind of behavior. Right. And so it's like, if we're talking about positive affirmations, we can apply the same concept in the notion that it's like, if every single day we, we speak or encant or whatever the right word is, positive affirmation to ourselves for an hour. It's like over a long period of time, those neurons are firing together and they are sure as hell wiring together. And so it's like one way or another, we need to create new beliefs for ourselves, turn the negative thought train around, build new, you know, mental routines, whatever positive affirmations, especially if they are, you know, something that we engage in regularly, they are a, a reliable means of doing just that. I think maybe, maybe my only uh, criticism would be that like, sometimes they can be hard to stick with, right? It's like you go to a seminar, you feel good, yeah. <laughs> you do the affirmation for like 10 minutes for like one week or something like that. And then you, and then you forget about them. Um, right. Again, this all comes down to like, figure out what works for you, figure out what resonates with you, and then lean into those kinds of strategies. Uh, I am absolutely not the kind of person that says, don't do this, don't, you know, don't recite positive affirmations, don't think positively, whatever. It's like, again, it all comes down to what works for you. I do believe that that can work for you, but can I guarantee that it's going to work for you? I can't, I can't do that. Right. So that's where the, the experimental part comes in. That's where the, the piece of you trying things out and seeing what works comes in and and, and being able to just figure out the the best path for, for your own situation and personality. Right. Right. Actually uh, to the, to the topic which you touched on, I think the studies on neuroplasticity, uh, and and the mental grooves, I think that is quite uh, positive for all of us who are stuck in this same old habits uh, of you know negative uh, negative habits. We know that it's affecting us, but we are unable to change because we think we are like this. Uh, with scientists doing a lot of work on neuroplasticity and things like that, it is it is possible to create new mental grooves, as you mentioned right away. Right, so fantastic. Uh, so my final question on the on this subject before I get to uh, know you better, uh, you know, I had uh, my last week I had Bonnie Suri, who is a self relationship coach, who came on the show to speak about growth mindset. So I started thinking uh, that I knew you were coming this week, so I had to connect it somehow, and then I thought I'll plug in a growth mindset question over here, whether it connects to negative thinking, etc. So. Um, can cultivating a growth mindset help us break free from negative thoughts and overthinking? Is it possible? Yes, I would say most definitely. I do have a chapter on, you know, focusing on growth in the first book. I think the main thing to cover here is like a lot of the times, like, so when you, when you grow, when you, you know, expand your capabilities or whatever, that is like, inevitably means letting go of old patterns, changing beliefs, cutting some part of ourselves off, right? If it's like, hey, I want to grow into being a public speaker or something like that. It's like, do you know how many people are born to be public speakers? Pretty much zero, right? It's like, we have to cultivate that skill. We have to get on stage and we have to be scared and we have to walk, you know, work ourselves through those emotions. And so it's like, when we are doing things that are uh, sort of set us on this path of growth, we are inevitably like it is a guarantee that we are going to face uncertainty, some form of fear, some form of anxiety, whatever it is. If we are able to reframe those feelings and say, look, the fact that I'm feeling anxious right now as I'm going to grow isn't an indication that things are going to go wrong, that I shouldn't be going down this path, whatever. If we're able to adopt a growth mindset and say, like, I'm going to grow, I'm going to try to grow no matter what. And I know that fear and anxiety and all these negative emotions are par for the course, we are much more likely to lean into those kinds of things, right? So I guess another specific example, we'll go back to the job interview. It's like, if I am going on a job interview next week, and I am scared about going on that interview, 
you know, I would say when I was 18, if I was in that situation, I'd say, because I'm scared, this means it's going to go poorly. And I think I might like cancel this job interview or something like that. If right. we're able to adopt a growth mindset and say, you know what, I'm going to this job interview no matter what, because I'm going to learn something from it. I'm going to take something away from the experience and the feelings that I'm enduring right now. They don't have any indication as to like, they, they don't provide any indication as to how this situation is going to go. They're just par for the course. We're much more likely um, you know, to, to pick up those experiences and, and get on with them. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think, I think we can do, we, sh we should definitely uh, do another session on get out of your head uh, methods, actually, because I'll, I'll try to set it up later sometime because cool. uh, the, the, the answers you have given are, uh, it's, it, it cannot be done in a, an hour. Some we need to specifically focus on that. So, you know, uh, before I leave you uh, for the day, uh, you know, I want to talk about a little bit about uh, Brian, a little bit about get out of your head. How did that journey start and some of the accomplishments and uh, uh, you are a programmer as well. So uh, some, some personal aspects as well. So uh, if you can share some, some uh, insights on that. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, the, I didn't write the first book until 2017. Um, but the journey started a long time before that. I was, you know, I was dealing with anxiety in high school. I had my first panic attack senior year of high school, had a second one freshman year of college. And I talk about both of those experiences in my first book. They really put me on the path of being like, I need to figure out what it is that I'm dealing with. I need to find ways to cope with what it is that I'm dealing with. And, you know, throughout this conversation, right, we've we've talked about these things very matter of factly and whatnot. I hope that I don't give the vibe that it's like, oh, Brian is a, has like mastered these things and he doesn't experience any of this. Like he's a, you know, whatever, he's a guru, whatever, right? It's like, I am still human. I still experience these things. What I have really done is I have reframed a lot of the emotions. So that way, the sort of like cascading effects of the anxiety they, they just don't come into play nearly as much as they used to. But, um, you know, is there a world in which it's like we vanquish anxiety and depression from our lives entirely for, for all of time? Probably not. Right. We are human. Right. I, I want to make right. sure that I put that out there. But um, so it's like when I was 17, when I was 18, I didn't even know what I was dealing with. Right. It's like I just right. knew that I felt really terrible all the time. And I was, you know, I was going on dates with women that I was interested in. I was getting these panic attacks and it was like, oh, my goodness, like if I want to find myself in a relationship, which I do want to do, like I need to figure out this demon inside of me. Right. Um, and so that was sort of the entry point into the journey. Obviously there's a lot of twists and turns. There's other kinds of negative events that you go through traumas and uh, experiences that scared me and stuff like that. And I, I tried my best throughout the time to look at all of those events and say like, how can I reframe these things? How can I see them in different lights? Not, not just for myself, but eventually one day, like, take this information and share my insights with people. Right. And being able right. to like help them with their own anxiety, with their own depression. That was always a goal of mine. Uh, it took right. longer <laughs> than I think maybe I wanted it to, or something like that. But I eventually like, uh, you know, as I alluded to, I eventually wrote the book in 2017. I wrote a second one in 2021 on depression. Um, the journey continues, right? It's like, you never know what life is going to throw at you. You try to be as resilient as you can and, and build up as many methodologies and, and strategies as you can. I obviously like, you'll see some of my writings. I, I bring the software development side of things uh, into the conversation just because it's, you know, it's, it's something that I spend a lot of time with. And so it influences the way that I see the world and think about it. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's like, I, I'm on a mental health journey myself right now, things are going great. And it's like, they've been going well for a while, but it, it's, it's taken a lot of work. And I think for a lot of folks uh, that, that will probably be the same case, but um, I don't know. I just, I am so passionate about this space because it has affected me so much throughout my life. And I see the pain it can create in other people. And I, you know, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily say like I'm an empath, but like somewhere on that vibe. Right. And it's like, I don't like to see that pain in other people. And I want, I want to try to help them as best I can. Cause I, I know what that specific journey is like, maybe not each specific scenario or whatever, but, but a lot of them, and, and I, I can really resonate with it. So that that's my goal. Right. Fantastic. I'm pretty sure you're changing a lot of lives, Brian, uh, knowingly, unknowingly. Uh, thank you for your books. I'll get a copy myself this weekend. Um, and I will obviously go through your toolkit by, uh, for, for myself and, uh, I'll share my thoughts on that. Thank you so much for taking time out. I loved meeting you and I hope to continue, uh, you know, interacting with you more in the future. Yeah, that sounds great. Thanks so much for having me. Would, would be happy to do another session in the future. Absolutely. So, yeah, Absolutely. Take care. Take care. Right, Bye. Take care.
All right, so that was Brian. Let me change my banner. Right, so uh, that was Brian uh, Sacheta. Get check out his website, his blog, getoutofyourhead.com. Uh, people who have gone through, uh, you know, mental health issues, etc., uh, have much better actionable tips for people who might go through or who are going through them. So check out his book, etc. Get his book. Uh, so that's the episode number fifty-six. Episode 57 will be on Feb 2nd, and I have a U.S. Army sergeant coming on the show who is one of the top public relation experts in the U.S. So let's hear from him about how to do PR on a budget, how to get more exposure to your brand, etc. So I can't wait to meet him next week. He's one of my personal favorite people. Uh, See you all next week. Take care and uh, I'll speak to you all soon. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Thrifty Marketer Podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Podcasts. See you in the next episode.